Well, I am uh, thankful to be back with you this morning. Um, appreciate the good reports of the uh, the messages, services while I was uh, while I was gone, and um, just thankful for the Lord's blessings on that. Um, if you uh, have paid any attention to the baptistry this morning, you realize we have some water in there, and so we're um, we're going to uh, to vote on receiving uh, a new member this morning, and so um, and so the the service is going to be a little bit of amended as far as how we would typically run the normal morning service. So um, I am gonna I am gonna preach. I'm going to uh, to bring a message from Acts chapter two. But I'm going to try to do it in a, uh, a shorter amount, shorter amount of time as as normal, um, and then we will uh, devote the second part of the service to um, hearing the uh, the testimony of uh, Josh Brown and then his request to the church for membership and baptism. So turn to Acts chapter two. I want to think this morning uh, for a few minutes about the. Uh, the blessing and responsibility of church membership. Okay? The blessing and responsibility of church membership. And again, our text is going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is after the... Uh, uh, this is after the message at Pentecost. The Lord begins to bless... And starting in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in, uh, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one, another, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so again, I want to think this morning about some of the blessings and the responsibilities of uh, church membership. So the first part of this passage that I want to look at is the very last part, and that is the fact that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Um, the recognition here that Luke gives as he begins to record this just explosive growth in the church um, and and the the um, um, many people who were joining themselves to um, the body of Christ and he says that the reason that this was happening is because the Lord was adding the Lord was working and he was adding as many as should be saved to the church, and so when we think about um, getting ready for um, to hear a testimony and getting ready for a 
a, a baptism service. We could, we could go a lot of different directions with that. We could talk about the significance of baptism, and it is significant. Um, we could talk about the fact that, um, uh, or the process by which um, the Lord has um, secured salvation for His people, and that's significant, and that's part of maybe a little of what we'll talk about here. But I, I want to be careful that every time we receive and vote on to receive a new church member, a, a new believer, um, that we realize, number one, uh, this is a day where we should be rejoicing in God's Word. Every time you hear a testimony of grace, that is a day of rejoicing. The angels rejoice at every soul that repents. So we should be rejoicing as well. And so there should be rejoicing that that happens. But there should also be a sense of responsibility, both to the candidate who is coming and and requesting church membership, but also to the to the body who is voting to receive that member in. Because what we're doing this morning is not just some sort of a formality. We're not just pretending that something big is happening we're acknowledging that God is still working in our midst. That's big. We're also acknowledging that the reason, out of all the, out of all the ways that God could have set this up, the reason that God chooses to save a soul and add him to the church is because he expects that church to play a significant role and that individual's life. And he expects that individual to play a significant role in the life of the church. Okay, so we're, we're talking about big responsibilities here. And so we want to be thinking about both. Again, the, the 47, verse 47, uh, B, the Lord added to the church daily such as, uh, should be saved. We, we said this, I'll say it again. It is a great blessing when the Lord adds to the church because it's a reminder. It's a reminder that He's still with us and He's still at work within our midst. Um, it's, it's, well, we've been talking about it in John. In John chapters three, four, um, the, the realities are still there as we move into John chapter 5, that there's only one way. There's only one way that an individual comes to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and then that person being drawn in conversion to Christ and the miraculous, really, covenant of grace that was ordained from all eternity in the heart of the Father that was um, played out and secured through the work of Christ, and then that's applied to the heart of each individual believer in time. I mean, we're talking about something that God has stored up from eternity that He is unpacking and unfolding before our eyes. It's an amazing thing. It's something that we ought to be rejoicing in. And again, as we think about how the Lord works in our midst, it ought to be, it ought to be a, uh, uh, just a joy and a blessing to know that He is pleased to still be working in our midst. 
So what I want to do is, is when we think about the blessings and responsibilities, I want to look at, at four different aspects of this passage, and, uh, and we'll make some observations here. We start back in verse 41. These people had been under the sound of the preached word. The message was a convicting message. It was a condemning message. It was also a message that pointed to Jesus Christ as the only way for salvation. And so in verse 41 it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. So first we have here those who had gladly received the word. Those who gladly received the word. Most of us know this, but it's worth reinforcing and restating that the only proper candidates for baptism are those who are born-again believers who welcome and affirm what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says about various things, I mean, when we think about it from just a basic level, the proper candidate for baptism must believe and affirm what the Word says about God Himself. We're talking about God who is the creator of all things, the Lord who owns all things, who exercises authority over all things. The fact that God is holy and just and righteous in His character. If we don't affirm or if if you don't um, um, embrace what the Word says about God in those respects, then baptism really makes no sense. The Gospel really makes no sense. If we don't understand that what we're doing is we're really celebrating and we're picturing the fact that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and risen to new life because we have been reconciled to the Father through Him, through Christ, and through His work. This Father who is the owner of all things, whom we are accountable to, who will one day judge the world in righteousness. If we, if we can't affirm or if we don't affirm that reality, we are not a candidate. Secondly, what the Word says about man, about us, that is the way original sin and our personal sin affects our standing before God. Baptism is not something that's done for sentimentality. It is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who would follow Him. And so we've got to understand what Scripture says about sin. The fact that we were all and all are condemned in Adam. Romans 5.12 When he sinned and death resulted, death passed upon all men. But it's not just Adam's sin, it's also 
as individuals. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just that we have some sort of a sin sickness that's happened outside of us, but other than that, we would be fine. It's that we've inherited the nature of our earthly father, Adam, and we have been, we were condemned in him, but we also share the same heart that he shared as he rebelled against God. And we have chased after idols. We have squandered the natural blessings of God and in our natural state have set ourselves at enmity against him. If we, if we're not receiving that truth, then baptism makes no sense. It makes no sense. Third, they gladly received the word and what it had to say about Christ. You remember in John chapter 1, somewhere around verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But there were some who did receive him. What does that mean? We've talked about that. They received him as a person, but they they also received what he said about himself. They were coming to him, as John the Baptist says, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of his people. And so the reality that we've received who God is and what Scripture says about God and His character, what Scripture says about me and my dilemma, my problem. Well, the only answer for a sinner who finds himself at enmity with God is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The church can't take away that. The church can't remedy that. The church is filled with people who have fled to Christ as their hope and as their salvation. And so they that gladly received the word. Now, we'll talk a little bit about this later on, but. You know, it's important. It's important that we uh, take the time. To. To discern that that these things are in place or that these things have actually happened in those that we would present as candidates for baptism. That's one of the reasons why we stopped the whole handshake church membership thing a long time ago. Um, It's kind of sweet and sentimental, but you know absolutely nothing about an individual who shakes your hand in the handshake and says, I want to join the church. It's nice Maybe it's great and maybe it's real. Maybe it's not. And so, um, and so over the last several months, since October, beginning of October, October 5th, I've regularly met with Josh and have become convinced that he's received the word gladly in these areas. And I'm thankful for that. So number one, they receive his word gladly. Number two, in verse 42, it says, 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You'll remember back to our October meeting, Brother Titus Cannon took this passage and, and brought four powerful messages out of it. But the point we want to make this morning is after they received the word, after they were baptized, they continued steadfastly in some things. That means there was a constant diligence. It wasn't one of those scenarios to where um, baptism was the climax and then it just went down from there. Okay, and sometimes, and some people's thinking, and 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 some people's lives, sadly, um, it looks like this: they become interested in spiritual things, and they begin to ask questions and study, and then they become baptized, and then it just kind of fades off and lulls into anything but diligence. One of the things that I've tried to reinforce in Josh and in every other person that's ever met with me for church membership is that this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. God's plan for His people is that we grow. It's not that we have a big splash and then disappear into the shadows. And so this is for everyone here. This is a reminder. Um, your life in this church, the extent of the blessing that you receive in being a part of this body will directly be tied to what you invest and put into your time here. In other words, you're going to get out of this church what you put into it. Okay. There are some people who join and they grow cold, or maybe due to various personality types, they're standoffish, they begin to grow cynical, they begin to complain that people are cliquish, they begin to make justifications for reason as to why they aren't plugged into and why they aren't growing in relationships with the believers here. And I'm not saying that there aren't always, you know, some tidbits of truth and some complaints, but I know this for sure. Um, this this year, January, marks 20 years since I've moved to Ripley to be a member of this church. Okay? Here's what I know. If you pursue fellowship in this church, you will find it 10 out of 10 times. Okay, I know that's the case. Ten out of ten times, the members of this church will open their hearts and warmly receive you. But here's what I can also tell you. If you're waiting on somebody to come chase you down and beg you to come and have fellowship, you're going to be disappointed. 
because real people belong to this church who have real families and real responsibilities and real priorities. And I'm not saying that they're not going to check on you. I am saying nobody's going to plead and beg with you to draw near. You want to know why? Now, sometimes people say, well, you know, I'd just be more comfortable if they would. Well, wouldn't we all? It's your responsibility. Okay? It's your responsibility. And so these people in the New Testament church, they continued, they had a constant diligence in these three areas. Number one, and you could refer back to Brother Titus's messages if you get sparked here. But number one, in the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine. If you're going to grow, you're going to have to be committed to ongoing growth in your knowledge of Scripture and doctrine. Okay, That doesn't end whenever you join. It begins. That doesn't end when you're converted. It begins. And by the way, this is one of those areas where it's very helpful to be able to meet with someone over a series of weeks and months. I'll tell you right off the bat, one of the things that I'm looking for is someone who is regularly reading, understanding, gleaning from Scripture. And I'll tell you why. If you show me someone who is excited about joining the church, who's uninterested in reading Scripture, on the front end, I'll show you someone who after they've joined the church will continue to be uninterested and will be unable to fulfill the role that the Lord has called them to. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to those 59 one another's. We're called to have spiritual discernment as a body. Our, our form of church government is congregational led. So hopefully whenever we come, whenever we call things to a vote, we're trusting that there are, there are people, the membership of this church is a, is a body of believers who have been born of the Spirit, who have been equipped with the Word and are voting out of a sense of spiritual discernment. Not out of, I'll go with what everybody else says. Well, there was a steadfastness in the apostles' doctrine. And this is, in some ways, it's a lifelong pursuit. I mean, it's this Isaiah 28, 9 and 10, where the Lord teaches line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so it's it's this growth that occurs um, throughout the life of a believer. It's little by little, like a, like a steady drip that eventually fills up a bucket through sermon after sermon, through study after study, through time in the Word after time in the Word. But there's this diligence, this pursuing one of the things that we require for membership is that you must endorse our articles of faith that just simply means you have to believe the same things that we believe about things that we that we deem essential these are non-negotiables okay so i'm not going to read the articles but i'm just going to lay out what they hit it is important, it is important that you know, understand, and embrace what Scripture has to say about the Trinity. It is important that we know, that we hold to what Scripture has to say about the inspiration of Scripture. Okay, that's a non-negotiable. 
Scripture is what we base everything else off of. And so as a member, you need to know what I mean when I say the inspiration of Scripture. You need to have some sort of an idea of where does the Bible say this and how do I explain it? I'm not saying you have to give a polished sermon, but these are things that are you ought to know. You ought to know what we're talking about when we talk about the covenant of redemption. Okay. Number four, we believe in the fall of man. Number five, we believe in election. Number six, we believe in regeneration and conversion. Number seven, we believe in perseverance or progressive sanctification. Number eight, we believe in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Number nine, we believe in the church of Jesus Christ and what Scripture says about that. Number 10, we believe that Jesus is the head of the church. And there's implications for how we conduct ourselves based on that. 11, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances that have been given to the church to be administered under the church's authority. And then number 12, we believe that evangelism is a part of what ought to be going on in this church. This is, this is, these are areas that we should be familiar with, areas that we should be growing in. One, one way, if you hear me talking about these and you're thinking, man, I need to know these a little, little better. I need to sharpen my understanding in some of these. Out on the, the little booklet rack for a while now, there's several copies of our articles of faith. If it's been a while since you've looked through those, I was, in, I would encourage you to do that. Scripture references at the bottom. The point is this. What you believe matters. And what you believe and embrace is either going to make this church as a whole more faithful to what Christ would have us to be or less faithful. One or the other. Practice is always built upon doctrine. If you're not believing the right things, eventually you will not be doing the right things. And so they were committed. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine. Secondly, they were committed to fellowship. Committed to fellowship. Um, they continued steadfastly, verse 22, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, when we think about fellowship, we do have an articles of faith because we believe what you Embrace from the word matters. But like I said before about your commitment to church membership, we also believe that fellowship matters. We also believe that the Lord has called us to some specific things. And so that's why we have a church covenant. And so whenever we join ourselves to the church, we're committing to these things. Number one, we're committing to God and to one another that we are going to regularly attend the worship services. We're going to regularly attend the worship services. There is no substitute for you being here. Okay. Social media is nice if somebody's sick, but if all you're doing is watching Facebook on live stream, you're not part of this church. You're just a viewer of what's going on in this church. In order to be a part, that, that means that you are here. 
that you are serving and that you're being served. And so God's intention, Hebrew chapter 10, verse 25, is that you would not neglect the assembling of yourselves together for what reason? Immediately after, he says, so that you might stir one another up unto love and to good works. We're committing that we're going to be here. Number two, you're committing that you're going to pray for one another. And I'm just going to have to keep reading or I'm going to take way too much time. Three, that we will bear one another's burdens. Four, that we will not speak evil of one another and refuse to gossip about one of God's beloved. Five, that we would seek at all times to promote unity and harmony in the church. Six, that we would endeavor to live a holy life before God and man. Seven, that we would seek biblical answers to our problems as well as build our lives on the holy word of God. Eight, that we would witness to others of the love of God in Jesus Christ as described in the Great Commission. Nine, that we would minister to the needs of others, especially in the household of faith. Ten, that we would support the church financially with our tithes and offerings. Eleven, that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And twelve, that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. Sometimes we can realize that we're kind of stuck in, in a rut. We realize that our fellowship is kind of waning. Maybe not have a lot of specifics as to maybe what we need to uh, to do to remedy that. I would encourage you review the church covenant on a regular basis. Okay? Review the church covenant on a regular basis. Where we find our fellowship beginning to grow cold, more than likely there's one or more of these twelve things that are lacking. Now the, tw- the church covenant again, just as a reminder, is something that we've said. I'm committing myself to doing these. And I trust that others are doing these for me as well. But this is a commitment I made before God and before His people. That when we come together and through the week, these things are going to be present. You've heard me say this a bunch of times, but I'll just say it again. We we do have the privilege. It really is a privilege. We get to decide what the next generation thinks is normal as far as church membership goes, as far as life in the church goes. And it could go a thousand different directions. And so the question is, if every single member in this church did the things that you do, what would normal look like? What would normal look like? We can all grow, that's for sure. And we want to continue to grow. So, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. They were committed to fellowship. And then it says they were committed to the breaking of bread and prayers. And and for that, we could go a couple of directions, but I'm going to just focus here on this. They were committed to, that is a constant diligence in communion with Christ through spiritual disciplines. Communion with Christ through spiritual disciplines. You will not be able to live the Christian life in your own strength. None of us can. Sometimes we have this idea that once I profess faith and, and once I'm baptized and once I join the church, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be easy. Um, it's, 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 you know, there's going to be a few bumps along the way, but um, it's, it's not going to be like it was. And the truth is, 
once you profess faith, once you join yourself and commit yourself to a local body, Satan ramps up his attacks on you like never before. He wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. He wants to use you to smear the name of Christ to a watching world. And things get very difficult. And so during those times, you're going to have to remember. John 15, 5 says that we are to abide in him. We're to abide in him. And that without him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. What does this abiding mean? It means to remain. It's to remain. It's referring to your daily walk with the Lord, your daily communion with Him. That means there's a regular reading of Scripture. There is a regular time of prayer. That your time with the Lord or your relationship with the Lord doesn't look like just a bunch of check boxes as we hear so often. It's not just that I did this because I knew it was supposed to, I knew I was supposed to do this. It's I'm doing this because I'm seeking to commune with Christ who is a person at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. So I love Him and I want to walk with Him. You can say more about that, but they were committed. They were committed to the communion with Christ through the spiritual disciplines. And then very quickly, before I go longer than I need to, Verse 43 says, the f- and fear came upon every soul. And uh, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Really, I just want to hit that first part. Fear came upon every soul. Just means that those who were outside of the church were impacted by what they saw going on inside of the body of Christ. Those who were outside were impacted by what was going on inside. Now here's the, here's the reality for us, brothers and sisters. The life of every baptized believer is saying something about Christ and His church to the unbelieving world. Okay? Every single life of a baptized believer is saying something about Christ and about His church to an unbelieving world. What's your life saying? What's your life saying? This is something that we ought to take seriously because we do have the ability, as Titus tells uh, those who were servants, to adorn the gospel. That just means to make it attractive. Or we have the ability to drag the name of Christ and the church and the church of Christ through the mud depending on how we live in the view of an outside world okay Philippians chapter 2 14 through 16 would push us in this Jesus would say in John 13:35 that this is how people will know that you're my disciples that you love one another And so what does the world see? What does those who are outside see as they look inside? And then lastly, in this passage in verse 47, it says that they were 
praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, So they gladly, were people who gladly received His Word. They were people who continued steadfast in the Apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in communion with Christ. They were being watched from outside and leaving a good testimony. And then it says they're characterized as those who were praising God. Those who were praising God. People who were characterized by praise. You know, like I said before, the Christian walk is hard. It's very difficult. But God is always good, isn't He? And there's always a reason, if we'll be intentional, there's always a reason to praise God. Now, I don't mean that in some sort of a silly, sappy way. But Lamentations chapter 3 says that His mercies are new every single morning. We know that it's in Him that we live and breathe and we have our being. We know that He has richly lavished us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, part of, one of the marks of the Christian walk should be praise. It should be praise. Because we're receiving the Lord's blessings again and again and again and again. And maybe I should say it this way, and we've said it a lot as we've made our way through the Psalms, but one of the, one of the, not just one of the marks, but one of the disciplines that ought to be intentionally cultivated in the life of every Christian is the discipline of praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing. There is a sense in which as Christians, you've got to live your life with one foot on earth and another foot in heaven. It's a delicate balance. If all you're doing is looking and focusing on what's going on in the trials and the hardships and the difficulties that are very real, you will live your life depressed and cynical and withdrawn. But those who have been brought into relationship with Christ have also been seated with Him in the heavenlies. Which means that in the midst of those difficulties, there are other spiritual heavenly realities that accompany those difficulties. And so the provisions that Christ has given us through communion with Himself, through fellowship of the saints, through the blessings that we receive as we come to Him in prayer and as He lavishes those things on us, we've got to be intentional. About praise. Look in Psalm 34. I'll end here. Psalm 34, we see this intentionality with David. In the first three verses, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. 
And then Psalm 34 goes on to talk about difficulties and challenges and deliverances and God's faithfulness in times of trouble and and the fact that God draws near to those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And I say all that just to say this is not one of those psalms that's just a, a psalm of rejoicing where it's either only focusing on God's character and God's goodness or only focusing on God's um, blessings. This is a this is a psalm of testimony. This is a psalm of of a man whose fears had come upon him, a man who's found himself in very difficult, tight situations, a, a man who was having to focus on the fact that the angel of the Lord encamps around his people, these invisible realities, one foot in heaven kind of realities. It's a man that had to embrace the fact in verse 19 that we experience many afflictions, but the Lord will deliver us out of them all. Again, one foot here and one foot there. And he starts out with this intentional commitment. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's the plan, is what he's saying. I will make my boast in the Lord. In verse 3, I will also invite you to magnify the Lord with me. And so, as we think about, again, what will happen today, we think about the blessings and the responsibilities of church membership. Today is a day of rejoicing. But today is also a day that should remind us that in the midst of that rejoicing, we have been called to walk long term through the ups and downs, the challenges and the celebrations of a dear brother in Christ who is also committing himself to the same thing with us. And that God in His sovereignty has brought us together and is building us up together so that we might help one another grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we have the blessing of participating in that in one another's lives. That really is, I mean, think about that. Think about the level of of one, responsibility, but the level of privilege that we have and the distinction that makes in the relationships that we ought to have here and the relationships we have other places. And so may God bless us to take our responsibilities seriously. May He also bless us to rejoice that we've been called into this blessing that we've been called into this relationship with Him and with one another, and that He's given us the privilege of being part of the church of the living God.